We hate fakes, don't we? Footballers that roll around. We hate that, don't we? Footballers that just that try and cheat. Facebook frauds. People that just make out all the time that their life's amazing. I'm a Facebook fraud sometimes as well, too. Um, phone scammers. I was watching the shopping channel the other day. Did you ever watch the shopping channel? No, everybody's saying no. I bet you've hopped onto the shopping channel once before. And I, I was watching the shopping channel, and I got to it at the end of, end of like, the... I don't know, the, just before the break, and the guy said, with the whitest teeth I have ever seen on a human being, st- you know, please stay with us, because this product that's coming up after the break will change your life. And I thought, I'm going to give him a chance. Mr. Shiny White Teeth, I'm going to stay with him. And he came back, and he's there again when I returned with his shiny white teeth, and he's got a juicer with him, and he's, and he's thrilled with this juicer. And I watched this man with this juicer for 40 minutes. 40 minutes, and his enthusiasm never waned for a second. But it was false. Nobody can be that enthusiastic about a juicer. I don't care how good the juicer is. I don't care if every bit of fruit you put in it tastes amazing. Nobody can be that enthusiastic. It was just a little bit false. And it's a bit representative, I think, of the world that we live in today. There is a bit of a falseness to everything. I was on holiday last week. I've got a Scottish tan. I put on the white shirt to accentuate, <laughs> accentuate the tan. It's what you do. It's what you do when you get a tan. I've not had one for years, so it's what you do. And I was on Facebook probably more often than I should have been. And sometimes it can just leave you a little bit numb, can't it? You're flicking through and you like something. And then you look and you see, oh, I've got 200 and I ain't got loads of friends. Me, I'm on Facebook. 230. I don't know if that's a lot or not. And then sometimes you come away thinking, are these people really my friends? Do they really like me? When they say, like, do they really mean that? And you come away sometimes, and you actually, as you exist in this kind of semi-superficial world, you crave something real. We crave something real. Do you know that we are made in God's image? We share some of his characteristics. God hates fakery, loves the sinner, loves the fake, but hates the fakery, especially when it's related to him. And he craves something real, genuine, and authentic, just like we do. A couple of verses that have kept coming up as we've gone through Luke's gospel, and they're really helpful again today. And I want you to think about what they show us about the heart of God. How do these verses reveal God to us? These people honor me. Jesus says this to the Pharisees as as he's grumbling about how they keep the law. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What does that mean? What does this show us about God? What is Jesus saying here? They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus shows us the heart of God. God wants us to be authentic and genuine, and he's tired of, he's angry with fakes. There's a culture of ungenuine worship going on, and Jesus speaks against it. Another verse, the day is coming when true worshipers... Worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus says this to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. The day is coming when true worshippers worship in spirit and in truth. What is he saying? It's time. Now is the time for authentic, real worship. I don't want to see false worship anymore. I don't want you anymore to honor me with your lips, but your hearts be far from me. I want something real something genuine. And what Luke's going to do in these two stories that we've read through is really arrest us because 
even though, like me, we don't like the superficial. We drift into it often, don't we, in our everyday lives. Sometimes, actually, it's easier to exist in the superficial, even with our faith. It's easy just to come along to church and go home again and play at it, rather than really think, what does God mean to me? What does my salvation mean to me? What should I look like? What does that death on the cross do for me? It's easy to be superficial. And Luke wants us to be certain. That's the introduction. That's the topic we've been looking at. He wants us to be certain, actually, that faith is something that is genuine, that is a real inner response. And he is so desperate for us to grasp this concept that he records, and I don't know if you noticed just how audacious that first story was when this woman walks in, and we're going to go through it. He records, he wants, us, wants to arrest us and grab us so that we can't drift in anymore just to practice our faith and go through the motions. He wants us to be changed by it. There's a, just to set the scene a little bit, there's two big questions that kind of run through uh, this part of, 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 the, of Luke's gospel. And this question, who is this, comes up. Did you see it in the text? Did you notice the who is this question? It repeats itself over and over and over again. Who is this? Remember the paralytic man brought through the roof? We learned about it from Paul a couple of weeks ago. And Jesus heals him. And yet, what everybody says is, and more importantly, I should say, he forgives his sin. And everyone goes, who is this? That forgives sin. So Luke, Luke pens this question to keep this question in our mind. Remember when Jesus was on the boat with the disciples and that storm came? Do you remember that story? And, and Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat. I love that he's asleep. It's, it's just he's so at peace with the world. And then the disciples come down all panicked and wake him up. And Jesus comes and he's angry with the storm. He rebukes the storm. He calms down the wind and the waves. And the disciples, what do they say? They say, who is this? And if you read through chapter 6, 7, 8, and it's answered actually next week. We'll come to it next week. It's a good answer from Luke. The question keeps coming, who is this? Through the eyes of the people, who is this? Who is this that touches dead bodies and yet is holy? Who is this that dishonors the Sabbath in our eyes and yet is holy? Who is this? And we're going to look at how Luke begins to answer that question. I guess if Luke was, was the editor of uh, one of these Scandinavian noir um, docudramas, have you seen these programs, these, these like distant, cold um, what they, like detective dramas, Wallander, that's what I'm trying to look for, Wallander. He, he, would, he would perhaps use the, the editor's trick of, of, of showing Jesus' face looking off into the distance with some mystical music playing over it. But he doesn't have these techniques. He's just got a pen or a quiver or whatever he had, and he keeps this question in our mind. He wants us to be thinking about this. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? And as this question comes at us from one, one angle, there's a question comes back from Jesus to the people. The question that comes back from Jesus to the people is, where is your faith? These two questions run parallel with each other. The people ask of Jesus, who is this? Who is this that, that forgives sins? Who is this that has authority over death? Who is this? And the people, and Jesus' question back to the people is, where is your faith? Remember, this, remember on that the same boat story? As, as the disciples are panicking like mad, Jesus says to them, where's your faith? Remember the story of the wise and the foolish man? The wise man that built his house upon a rock, the foolish man that built his house upon the sand. What's Jesus really saying in that story? He's saying, what's your foundations built on? He's saying, where's your faith? These two questions 
run parallel. And Luke begins to answer them. And actually, he draws us to this parable, the parable of the sower. And he kind of shows us what happens when these two things come together. What happens when they find out who Jesus is. So let's read it through together. And just to set the scene perhaps a little bit more, I think we come to this parable, we know what it's all about a lot of the time. I think to actually be there, hearing it, waiting for it, might have been a bit of a different experience. I think, I think the people were expecting a war cry. These people have been oppressed for a long time. They want their country back. They want their way of life back. And when they hear Jesus telling stories about the kingdom, it's a little bit like how some people's ears prick up when we talk about independence or leaving Europe and Brexit. We're like, we're motivated and we're engaged. And when people hear that Jesus is talking about the kingdom, they are motivated. They are engaged. They've dropped what they were doing. Some people have left their jobs altogether. Others have skipped work and come to hear what Jesus is going to say. Some people in the back of their minds are thinking, I'm ready to let my son go off to war for this guy. This guy can do miracles. He's talking about the kingdom. I'm interested. I'm engaged. And then Jesus starts to speak and tells them an anecdote about agriculture. Can you imagine? These people are scratching their heads. Let's read it through together. 8 verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. 8 verse 5. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, and it choked the plants. Still the other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. Can you imagine these people ready, ready for the big war cry, ready to be like, yeah, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to leave my job. And Jesus tells this story. This is the first thing that he tells them about the kingdom. It's about a, a farmer who goes out to sow seed. There'd have, been, there'd have been a lot of faces looking back at him like that, thinking, why is he telling us this story? Couple of, we'll go through it. A couple of things to remember. The seed is the word of God, and the soil is how our hearts are ready to receive it. Let's have that. Jesus gives us that. Let's have that in our heads. It's, it's a different agricultural picture in, the, in these times. When we drive along the roads, we see, we see the fields set on the side, and they're all ordered and square, and we see these fantastic big machines uh, drive along and do up. I'm not going to dismiss the hard work of farmers, but they do a lot, you know, they do a lot of the work, and it's all kind of ordered and boxed up and packaged off and sent to the supermarkets. In Jesus' day, it wasn't really like that. A bit more random. I think I would have enjoyed it a little bit more. There's a guy going around. There's a patch of land here, patch of land there. There's a path there, and he's going to fling it on all of it, and he's just going to wander around. Some on good soil, some on bad soil. Some fell on the path, and the birds of the air ate it up. There's this picture of the seed that falls and the birds just grabbing it straight away. I don't know if you've been amongst teenagers when you're having a KFC. It's a bit like that. If there's a bit of chicken going spare, it's gone. Forget it. If it's down there, it's going to be eaten. If you've ever had a bag of fish and chips on the East Coast, one of your chips drops out onto the path. There's some sort of seed, crazy seagull will come down and grab it before you've got a chance to even look around. That's the kind of picture that Jesus is showing. This, this seed that's been planted, it's gone devil's got it straight away. Seed is the word of God. The soil is how the hearts are ready to receive it. This is the picture of the kingdom. Some of this word will go into the world and it will be gobbled up before you even know it. 
Isn't that so true when we think about the church, when we think about people that we know who we long for to get saved, and we see them there, we see God's word going out, and it's gobbled up before they know it. Some fell on rocks, and when they came up, they withered because they had no moisture. Some fell amongst thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plant. I, uh, I would describe myself as green-fingered, um, but I've been rubbish for 14 years. I've, I've just approached it in, a, in such a haphazard way. I've bought plants, and I've kind of just flung them, and my soil is not great. It's a new build, and it's all clay in the soil. So I've just flung a tree in there, and I've stared at it, and, and for a couple of weeks, it's looked like there might just be life there, and I've been, I've been, it's warmed my heart, and I've been a little bit thrilled, and then it's died, and I've looked at the tree as if to say, what a rubbish tree. And I'll go back in and complain to my wife, too. I'll say, these, these trees are rubbish. They're not, you know, they're not surviving. They're not flowering. But of course, it's not the fact that these trees are rubbish, is it? It's the place that I've put them. It's the soil that they're planted in. They show a little bit of growth for a little while. And then they wither and they die. And Jesus is beginning to teach a people waiting for this war cry about what his kingdom is going to be like. And they're scratching their heads And they're realizing, and this picture is growing, that not everybody gathered here is going to get this. They've quit the jobs. They've dropped down tools and come to listen to Jesus. They've rushed there to hear him. And Jesus' message is to all these people who have come following the rabbi, the guy that can do miracles, is you're not all going to get this. This is going to go in one ear and out the other. This is going to look like something for a while and then disperse. It's not a very Mourinho-esque speech, is it? don't know if you follow football. Mourinho's first, Mourinho is the new manager of, of Man United, and he's all big talking, isn't he? And he's come and sort of said, everybody's going to follow me. It's going to be great, and the people that doubt me, you're all going to be won over, and this is what my kingdom will look like. Jesus paints a picture of the kingdom that is honest, and the honest truth is, and we know the reality of this, not everybody is going to get this. And it's worse than that, isn't it? Because as Luke begins to describe what the kingdom will look like, there's a growing picture, not only that not everybody will get it, but that everything will be exposed. These plants that grow up a little bit and die away, these are going to be exposed. There's this group of people that have come to hear the good news of the kingdom, go home thinking about whether their faith is genuine or not. It's great what Jesus' teaching causes us to do, isn't it? don't know why... You came to church. Don't know what your motivation was tonight. Don't know whether it's just what you do. Don't know if it was, don't know. Don't know what your motivation is. But I love the fact that when we get into God's word, it it challenges us and it causes us to go home and think about, is this faith that I've got genuine? Is it real? Am I somebody who's who's established and rooted in Christ? Am I somebody who trusts him for everything? Is my praise Real, that's the challenge for us. Is it real, genuine, and authentic? But something, the seed that fell on good ground yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. Think about that. In other words, something dramatic and unbelievable and undeniable happens when good seed is sown in good ground, when God's word is sincerely received. We're getting this growing picture of what faith look, looks like, and it should challenge us, should cause us to think, it's caused me to think. It's not superficial, but it's rooted 
in good places. Faith looks like someone who, when they hit the crisis point, when they hit the storm or the drought, and that moment is when they turn to Christ and say, I'm going to be rooted in him. For me to get through this means that I need to dig deeper. I need to be more established in him. To get through this tough time, I need to know Jesus more. That's what faith looks like. It's not short-lived, but it endures. It's not withering and lifeless, but it's fruit-bearing. There will be changes. It's a great test for us, I think, as Christians. It's a great challenge to us. This is the picture that Jesus is showing. Faith is fruit-bearing. Faith is a crop that grows, endures, and starts to produce fruit, starts to look different. It's great to look back at your life, think, right, how's my life going? How's my walk with Christ going? What's happening in me? How is he working in me? Is he changing me? It's not fake, but it's real. And Luke then tells us this story, and he tells us a story to arrest us. So we're going to look at this story of the woman who came to see Jesus at Simon's house just now. I don't know if you can pop that text up on the back. It's the end of chapter 7. And I want you to try as best you can and transport yourself into this scene because it's a distant scene. It's a scandalous scene that doesn't seem, seem as scandalous today. Jesus, invite, Jesus invited to dinner at the home of a Pharisee's house, Simon the Pharisee. This is the done thing in these times, to show hospi- hospitality. If you're a rabbi and you're traveling around, then somebody's going to put you up. Somebody's going to want to have you around for dinner. This part of the world is a very hospitable place to be. It's still hospitable now. They have people in. And it would have been a bit of a spectacle. The windows would have been open. The doors would have been open. The courtyards would have been full. Jesus, the rabbi who does miracles, is here at the home of Simon the Pharisee. This is, a, this, is a, this is an event. The villagers come out to see this. Simon's looking there, really pleased with himself. He's got this rabbi, Jesus, come to his house for tea. And then enters this woman that Luke describes as having lived a sinful life in that town. I don't know if Luke's been polite, if that's just his terminology, but this woman is a prostitute. You've got to try and imagine small town, village life. Everybody knows this woman is a prostitute. She walks in. She does just about as brave a thing as you can imagine. It might have been socially acceptable for her just to stand right on the very periphery, this prostitute, but she walks right into the room, right into where the religious men I sat right into the religious environment, this prostitute, and she's crying. She's weeping. And it's not that weeping that you do like I do sometimes where you're going you're gonna to be determined to fight back the tears. I have this moment quite a lot where, where there's something sad on the TV and I think, I'm going to hold it together. Come on, Ash, hold it together, hold it together. And then all of a sudden, I can't fight it anymore. I'm crying. My kids are looking at me wondering what's happened to me. And that's just the way it is. And that's what's happening with this woman. She's fought it for a bit, and now the Bible just describes her as somebody who is weeping. Tears are falling down her cheeks, and they're falling onto the feet of Jesus. And the Pharisee, Simon, in his home, is thinking, my, my, my afternoon is ruined. It's all gone pear-shaped. And then just when you think it couldn't be any worse, it couldn't be any more, he couldn't be any more annoyed, this woman lets down her hair. Might not seem like a scandalous thing in the 21st century century, but it is just about 
as scandalous a thing as you could have done in these times. There are rabbis and Pharisees that teach that for a woman to let down her hair, she may as well be in the buff. She is revealing a part of herself that she shouldn't really reveal. She's exposing herself. It's a shameful thing to do, but she's not bothered. She's seen the man who has changed her life. Remember that question that Luke asks us to think about? Who is this? And what, where is the faith of the people? Well, this woman, of all the people in this religious scene, this woman gets it. She looks at Jesus and she says, yep, yeah, I get this. You're the one who has saved me. And I'm ceased to be bothered about social sensibilities now. I'm going to let my hair down. And you can be angry with me if you want, but this is my savior. And I'm going to respond to him. And I'm going to worship him. And there's this incredibly evocative scene of this woman just collapsed, weeping at Jesus' feet. Simon the Pharisee is looking on the whole time. He's angry. He's annoyed. He's, he's thinking his day has been ruined. And his question at the start of the day from the text was, is this man a prophet? Can you see it in the text? And his conclusion that he comes to is, can't be. Can't be a prophet. Because he wouldn't let this woman wash his feet if he was a promise, was a promise, was a prophet. Let me just set the scene for you. In these times, when you sat down to eat, you lean on your left hand and you're facing forward and you're, you eat with your right hand and your feet are kind of dangling away behind you somewhere. So this woman, when she comes in to wash the feet of Jesus, she starts washing his feet. Jesus can't see her. And so Simon the Pharisee is looking on saying, yep, Jesus can't be a prophet because if he was a prophet, the power that prophets have, he would have known that the woman behind him is a prostitute and he would have stopped this. But the truth of the matter is, and it's brilliant how Luke writes this, he is a prophet. He does know who the woman is and he knows Simon's thoughts. It's incredible, isn't it? This religious scene, the religious man has God, God's son, theologically speaking, God in his house and he doesn't get it. Think of the the crops that shoots up planted in, planted in rocky soil that looks like something's there but actually fades away. I wonder if Simon's a little bit like that. He doesn't get it. And Jesus brilliantly, beautifully, wonderfully just lets all this play out. Doesn't say anything. Lets the prostitute weep and wash his feet. Looks up at Simon raging mad and keeps quiet and eventually breaks his silence and tells Simon this story. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven You've judged correctly, he said. Jesus says to Simon, of course this woman is happy. She's been forgiven a great debt. But what Jesus does is draw attention to this woman's legitimate happiness in light of the extent of her forgiveness. And in doing that, Jesus causes Simon to look at his own shallowness, his own life. In fact, what Jesus is doing and what the kingdom does is exposed what's not real. Simon's stood there, faced with his own hypocrisy, his own shallowness, and that's what's challenged. 
is confronted with his own religiosity by this sinful woman's genuine response. Our world is littered with Simons, littered with hypocrites. Christianity is, has its fair share. I'm not going to say littered. It has its fair share of hypocrites. And I would say, when you ask the question, what puts people off Christianity the most? What puts people off Christianity the most? Most people would turn around to you and say, hypocrites. I think you're hypocrites sometimes. That is the brush that we are tarnished with. And I would guess that there's people here who have experienced hypocrisy, and I would be fairly certain that all of you know somebody who won't come to church because of the hypocrisy. I want to give you some truth from this passage. This parable and this story teaches us that when the kingdom comes, everything will be exposed. Everyone, the hearts of all men will be seen. The hypocrites will be shown up for who they are. I want you to stand firm in that. I want you to remember that when you're going mad at other Christians, when you're really struggling, when there's a story like there was in the news this week about a so-called Christian worker who has abused 200 kids, I think it was in the Philippines, and it breaks your heart, and you think, what are people going to think of us? Everything, good and bad, will be exposed. With this kingdom, genuine fear is prioritized. Luke shows us that disingenuous observance is not faith. Going through the motions, just keeping the rules, attending church as part of your cultural heritage is not faith. When you look at this woman, she's got everything wrong. She's lived a sinful life. And even in putting it right, she's broken half the rules in the rule book. And yet, what shines through? What is Luke wanting to show us? The genuine nature of her faith. It's messy. It's mixed up. It's not what the religious people wanted to see. But it's where salvation was. What does Jesus say about this woman? Jesus sees this woman. She can't escape her reputation. But her faith is so obviously genuine, Jesus says to her, go. Your sins are forgiven. The story of salvation in this story is the woman's. The scene of a religious setting. The story of a religious man who sprouted up a little bit of faith. But the person that goes home saved is the prostitute. And she evidences her faith by her fruits, her genuine, authentic response.